3. 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. Next week, and I'm not saying that this is not a message that you can get something from or that it's not a personal message or anything like that. I believe this is a message that God's laid on my heart that I think will be very helpful for us. Hopefully a little bit more encouraging than anything. Uh, but next week, I have a message that God's laid in my heart that I've been working on for just for a little while anyway, that, that's a very personal message, and I want to really encourage you to be here next week, and then even the week after that, I think is going to go hand in hand with the message next week as well, um, and I know that uh, there's a, a good number of people that are traveling, we're out of town this weekend, and, and uh, some that I know that are watching online, but let me encourage you to, uh, to be here next week. Um, it, it's a, a, and when I say a very personal message, I, you'll understand uh, what I mean next week when, uh, when we look at that topic that we're going to talk about, but um, I think it'll be very helpful for us as well, as is this, 1 Peter chapter 3, I admire people who can cook, I, I can't, um, I'm not one of those people, I've, I've never really done it, which is probably one of the reasons why I can't, but nobody's ever accused me of being a chef, I'll, I'll just put it that way, all right? Um, but, uh, my wife, my wife can cook and I'm glad she can. She's always looking for new recipes and, uh, you know, things that, that she thinks that we'd like and we try it and, oh, how did you like it? And if it was just kind of so-so, it disappears and I don't see it again. But, uh, if I said, man, that was really good, then, then we see it every night. No, I'm kidding. We don't. But, um, anything she makes is good. I, I haven't thrown up after a meal yet. So, um, but some, some recipes are better than others. And one of the things that I always think about is, is how, do, how do people come up with recipes? I suppose that, you know, I mean, think about, there, there are some recipes that you do, and just, just in watching, and every once in a while I'll try to make like no-bake cookies or something like that, but uh, there's a process that you have to follow, and if you don't follow that process, it doesn't turn out right, right? You can't, you can't put it in the oven first and then put all the ingredients in after it comes out of the oven. Or you can't, uh, you know, you can't mix the, yeah, I'm talking about stuff I don't even know what I'm talking about, but you can't mix the butter with the whatever, you know what I'm saying, and do it in a different order and whatever else. It's not going to come out the right way. I just, I do know that. I do know that. And, uh, but, you know, I always think about, you know, I suppose there are people who literally just experiment recipes for a living, but that would take some serious work and some serious knowledge. You know, and then, uh, then I started to think about, too, of, you know, somebody decided to try it first. Like, who was the first one that decided, you know, I'm going to take an unborn chicken and crack the egg open and, and fry it and see what it tastes like, you know? I mean, who was the first one that decided to try that and found out that eggs were good, right? Um, or, you know, frog legs. Who, who's the first one that looked at the back of a frog's legs and thought, you know what, I bet if I cook that, that'd be really good. Right? I've never had frog legs, so I don't know if they're good or not. But somebody had to do that with bread and cookies and cupcakes and everything else. And then somebody had to be the first one to try mushrooms and find out that they were poisonous and that you could die from it, right? Somebody had to be the first one. And uh, so I always, it always goes through my head and just kind of, you know, makes me wonder, like, who's the first one that decided to try this, right? Uh, and here in 1 Peter chapter 3, we have a recipe that was designed and developed by God himself. And any recipe God concocted would have to be good. Think about the cakes that, that Elijah ate when he was in the wilderness, you know, and, and he, was, he was moaning and, and complaining, and, and God fed him. The angel made him cakes in the wilderness. Could you imagine what that cake must have tasted like? Or the manna that God sent to the children of Israel when they, when they were in the wilderness. I mean, they ate it for 40 years. It must have been pretty good, right? I mean, could you imagine if there was somebody who didn't like the manna? You know, what are you, your other options, you don't have another option, so it's like our kids, it's on your plate, you're going to eat it, and you're going to learn to like it, right? And that's, uh, I mean, but anything that God makes, obviously, is, uh, is going to be good, and, and th but this recipe here in 1 Peter chapter 3, 
is not a recipe for food. It's a recipe that's much more important than that. It's a recipe that God gives us for loving life. If you want to love life, the Bible says in verse number 10, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. For the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. If you want to love life, if you want to see good days, and I'm going to lay out for you the three things that God gives us here in 1 Peter as a recipe for loving life. It's a recipe for loving life. Let's pray, and then we'll look at a few of these things this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness to us. What a, what a great time it is to be in your house this morning. And God, we're so excited about Sophie getting saved, and I pray that you give us many others as well. And God, I, I do pray again, if there is somebody in here this morning that's not saved, they're never going to love life without knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's the first step. And so, God, I pray that, that, uh, that if there's anybody in here that has never come to know you as their Savior, they do that today. But beyond that, God, for those who are saved, I pray that you'd help us to follow this recipe. I pray that you'd help us to do the things that we're commanded here to do in this passage if we'd love life and see good days. And I don't think there's anybody in here this morning that would say that they wouldn't want that. And so, God, I pray that you'd bless the message this morning, and we'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Keep your finger there in 1 Peter chapter 3, if you will. Put a, put a bookmark, because we're going to be coming back to that the rest, of the, the rest of the message. But the first thing that we see there in, in verse number 10, as a recipe for loving life, is to refrain your tongue. He says that in, in, right there in verse number 10. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Turn over to Psalm 34. See, what you say is what you are. And I know many people have said this before. You can say, oh, I didn't mean to say that. But what you say comes from the heart. And the things that you meditate on in your mind is what is eventually going to come out. And you might not have intended for that to come out, but what you put in your heart is what comes out. And so many times I've heard people say, oh, I don't, I don't know where that came from. I'll tell you where it came from. It came from your heart. You're putting that in there. You're meditating on those things. And it just eventually came out because it overflowed. Right? What you meditate on is the real you. What, you. what you put in is what becomes the real you. That's why it's important, so important, that you pay attention to the things that you watch, that you listen to, the friends that you hang around with, and all of those other things, because what you put in there is eventually going to come out, and that is the real you. Let me show you what, where this quote in 1 Peter chapter t uh, 3 came from. It came from Psalm 34. And I don't know if you have a Bible that does this or not. I do. And so all of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, 11, and 12 are all in little, little small capital letters because that, that's a reference to the fact that it came from somewhere else in the Bible. And this is a reference back to Psalm 34, verse number 12. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. By the way, that, that, that just shows me one thing. Peter and a lot of these other apostles that wrote in the New Testament knew their Bible. They memorized the Bible. It, Peter kind of summarized Psalm 34, but he said exactly what Psalm 34 is saying, and he, he says it again. He knew the Psalms. He knew, he knew what he was, uh, he was writing these things because he knew the Bible. It's important that you memorize the word of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God, is what the Bible says. But David wrote this psalm, Psalm 34, at a very critical point in his life as a refugee. 
He had, he had gone to Gath, which if you know anything about Gath, that's where Goliath was from, right? He had gone back down to Gath, and this was after he killed Goliath. And he was, he was trying to seek asylum from Saul. Saul was out there trying to, to take his life. David had already been promised that he was going to be the next king of Israel, but he was, he was seeking asylum there. But he, then he realized that it jumped from the frying pan into the fire. And when he got to Gath, he realized, man, this is probably not the place that I should have come. And they, you know, he was recognized in Gath as the man who had killed their champion. And so they, somebody brought him before the king and said, hey, this is David. Now, back then, he was just a little kid. He was just this ruddy teenager, as the Bible says. Now he is probably a grown man. We know he had a big, full beard by that point. He probably looked a little bit different. And, you know, he had been on the run. I'm sure he was, he was dirty and haggard looking. And he had been living in and out of caves and all of this other stuff. So he might have... They, he might have looked like the wanted posters that were all posted around Gath, but he was a little bit different. They couldn't quite tell that this was David, but they really suspected it was him. And so they, they captured him and they brought him before the king there in Gath. And they said, hey, this is the David. This is the one that, that killed our, uh, our champion. And David saw his mistake right away. And he started pretending to be mad. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 21 and verse 13, and he changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands, and scrabbled on the doors of the gate, and let spittle fall down upon his beard. Could you imagine? This is the David. The David that killed Goliath. The David that killed a lion and a bear. The David that was getting ready to be the greatest king that Israel ever had. The David who was in the line of Jesus Christ, scrabbling on the walls, scribbling like a little kid. And then letting spit fall down all over his beard. And finally, the king of Gath said, I don't know who made this mistake, but get this guy out of here. That, there's no way that this is the David that killed our champion, Goliath. And they, they, they put him out of the city, and he ended up escaping. But it was in the stronghold of those caves that David fled to that he sat down and wrote Psalm 34. He was thoroughly ashamed, I think, of the whole episode that he had just gone through. His lapse of faith, his folly in seeking asylum away from somewhere where God would want him to be. His, his sad performance as a lunatic and the things that, that he had said while he was pretending to be mad. Perhaps he, he was even more ashamed of what he said to Ahimelech, the priest, just before he went to Gath. On his way down to Gath, he stopped at, at one of the, the tabernacles there, and Ahimelech was the priest. The priest was in the city of Nob in the tribe of Benjamin. He was not from Jerusalem, or, or sorry, not far from Jerusalem, but Ahimelech was afraid of Saul. And he was afraid that if he helped David out, that Saul was going to come along and end up killing him. And so Ahimelech was suspicious of David. So to calm his fears, David lied to him. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, and verse 2, David said unto Ahimelech the priest, The king hath commanded me a business, and hath said to me, Let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee, and what I have commanded thee, and I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. So he, he told Ahimelech, Hey, I'm on a secret mission from the king. Can't tell you what I'm doing, but he told me to get this sword from Goliath, and he told me to eat all the bread off the table that was made to be for the sacrifice. And so Ahimelech said, well, if it's a secret thing from the king, I don't want to go against the king's order. So he gave those things to David. But it was, it was a lie. The king, obviously, Saul never sent David on a secret mission. Not long after that, he was holed up in the cave of Adullam, and David learned that Saul had massacred Ahimelech and 85 of the members of the priest community because Doeg the Edomite told Saul what Ahimelech had done. And so because as a direct result of David's lie, Ahimelech and 85 other priests lost their life at the hands of Saul. And then David goes to Gath, 
and he makes a fool out of himself in Gath. That was the fruit of David's lies. No wonder he wrote what he did in Psalm 34. And Peter takes up the same idea. Of course, Peter could have illustrated the point very well because as, as we all could from his own experience, but Peter had lied. He had cursed like a sailor when they were trying to pin him to being associated with Jesus Christ as they were taking him off to be crucified. I'm sure that memory haunted him for years to come, and it's so important to keep our speech clean and well-pleasing to God. Reminds me of a story that I heard. A man was working in a produce department at a grocery store, and this lady came up to him and asked him if she could buy a half a head of lettuce. And he said, well, we don't, half a head? Are, are you serious? We don't sell a half a head of lettuce. We only sell whole heads of lettuce. And that lady turned to him and she said, you mean after all of these years that I've shopped here, you won't sell me a half a head of lettuce? And he said, look, if, if you like, I'll ask the manager. And she said, you know, she gave the indication that she would appreciate that very much. And so this young man marched to the front of the store. And he found the manager standing there at the front of the store. And he said, you won't believe this, but there's some lame-brained idiot of a woman back there who wants to buy a half a head of lettuce. And he noticed the manager was gesturing. And he turned around to see that the lady was standing right behind him. And obviously, she had followed him to the front of the store. And he said, and this nice lady was wondering if she could buy the other half. Well, later in the day, the manager cornered that young man, and he said, that was the finest example of quick thinking I've ever seen. He said, where did you learn how to do that? And he said, well, I grew up in Grand Rapids, and if you know anything about Grand Rapids, you know that it's known for great, their great hockey teams and the ugly women. And uh, this, this manager got incensed. He said, you know, my wife is from Grand Rapids. And he said, and which hockey team did she play for? <laughs> the tongue gets us in a lot of trouble. Don't say the first thing that comes to your mind, right? And, and, and there's a lot of people, especially young people, but, but even older people, even we as adults say that sometimes, wow, I just didn't think about it first. I don't know where that came from. No, you thought about it. You just didn't think about it long enough, right? When you want to say something back, oh, this will get them, take, take five seconds. You know what? Five seconds a lot of times is all it takes for you to say, you know what, probably not even worth it, whatever. Just, just go on. Our tongues get us into a lot of trouble, Right? Uh, refrain from evil, the Bible says, and refrain from speaking guile. We could speak for a, quite a while about our speech. We'll move on. William Norris, the American journalist who specialized in, in simple rhymes that, that really packed a punch, wrote this one time. He said, if your lips would keep from slips, five things observe with care, to whom you speak, of whom you speak, and how and when and where. That's a pretty good little uh, summation of this verse. Refrain your tongue from evil, and your lips that they speak no guile. The recipe for loving life is to refrain your tongue, but turn back over to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll look in verse 11. Refrain your tongue, but the second thing that we see there is to resist evil. He says in verse number 11, let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Eschew evil, resist evil is what he's saying. Do good. Those two things naturally go together. When you resist evil, you are in a place where you can also do good. Right? And we don't, we don't do good to earn our way to heaven. It doesn't earn us brownie points with God and, and get us a little bit closer on the ladder of climbing our way to heaven. It's not why we do it. But the Bible says that Jesus went about doing good. So if Jesus went about doing good, then don't you think that we should do the same thing, especially when we're given commands like this, eschew evil and do good? Those are things that we ought to be trying to do every single day. 
The choice between good and bad is clear. If it's doubtful, don't do it. I'm sure you've heard that before many times, right? Stonewall Jackson used to, used to use that kind of as an illustration. If I have to ask my wife whether this shirt is too dirty to wear or not, then I probably shouldn't wear it. That's what he said. And the same thing is true. If it's doubtful, don't do it. If you don't know if it's right, or if you don't know if it's wrong, if you don't know if it's wrong, then don't do it. If you don't know if it's right, then don't do it, right? It's one of those things that, we want to do the best that we can to live for God and to please him in the greatest way that we possibly can. Eschew evil. Put it away from us. Do good. If, you, if you're actively seeking to not do evil, then, then doing good becomes easy. If you're actually act, actively seeking to do good, then eschewing evil becomes easy. So this, those are things that we ought to try to be doing. And I think Peter takes it a step further here. What you say is important, but what you do speaks louder than words. Right? How many times have you heard somebody say, do as I say, not as I do? Why is that? Because you can say everything that you want to say. People will believe you until they see your actions. Your actions speak a whole lot louder than your words speak. So, yes, refrain your tongue. Keep away from those things, but resist evil at the same time. Eschew evil and do good. I heard of a young college student that got up to do a report in class, and he got up there and he said, the title of my talk today is the law of the pendulum. He spent 20 minutes talking about the law of the pendulum, where if you start a pendulum at one spot and let it go, it will never, even though it gets close, it will never come all the way back to the spot that it started from. And it'll keep swinging and swinging and swinging, and eventually it will stop at that level of equilibrium. And so uh, all the forces acting on the pendulum are finally equal, and that pendulum comes to a stop. So then he, had, he attached a three-foot string to a little child's toy top, and he secured it to the top of the blackboard with a little thumbtack, and he started it over here, and he let it go. And he put a mark, and every time it swung, he put a mark, and you can just see the marks getting closer and closer and closer together until eventually that little pendulum, that little child's toy, and that three-foot string finally stopped there on the blackboard. And he had proved his point about the law of the pendulum. And everybody applauded, including the teacher, and they thought he was done, and the teacher started walking toward the front of the classroom, and he said, hang on. I have one more experiment that I want to do just to prove this law of the pendulum. He said, I have here, and I've attached it in the gymnasium if everybody would come with me. And there hanging from the center in the gymnasium was a long rope that was attached to the rafter with 250 pounds of weights attached to it. And at one end, he had a table set up uh, near the wall with a chair sitting on that table. And he said, how many of you believe the law of the pendulum? And of course, all of them raised their hand. We had just seen it with our own eyes. And he said, all right. Now I want to see who really believes the law of the pendulum. And he asked the teacher, would you please come up here and sit in this chair that I've set up next to the wall? And the teacher was very hesitant, but of course he said, you know, I, I told him that I believe the law of the pendulum. And so once again, he explained this law. I'm going to start this 250, pound weights, uh, 250 pounds of weights right next to the teacher's nose, and I'm going to let it go. And if the law of the pendulum is correct, then when that thing swings back, it will be close, but it's not going to touch the same spot that it touched originally. Do you believe the law of the pendulum? And the teacher started thinking about it a little bit longer, and he said, yes, I, I believe the law of the pendulum. And he said, would you please take your seat on top of this table? And so the teacher was sweating bullets by that point, but he went up there and sat down in his seat, and that young man took that 250 pounds of weights, and he let it go, and you could hear the swish of those weights moving across the gymnasium. And the, 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 the people that were in that room later said, I'd never seen somebody move so fast in their life. That teacher dove off of that table and out of the way of those weights. You can say all you want to that you believe the law of the pendulum. 
But in action, he didn't actually believe the law of the pendulum. And that's exactly what so many Christians do. Peter is still reminding us of David's formula for a long life. Even on a natural level, all things being equal, a good person stands a better chance of living a long life than a wicked person does, right? I, I was reading a, a little bit about this, and John Phillips is a commentator. He said it this way, the person who pursues good takes care of his body. He doesn't abuse it with alcohol, drugs, or tobacco smoke. He acts sensibly in terms of diet, rest, and exercise. He does not indulge in a sexually permissive or aberrant lifestyle and so avoids contracting a host of life-shortening diseases. He avoids many of the stresses and strains of life, such things as anger, bitterness, hatred, and jealousy, which contribute to certain diseases. Of course, God controls the destiny of all those who do well as those who do evil. But think about the things that living a clean lifestyle does for your health. Right? How many times have you heard somebody say, I need to quit smoking, or I need to quit drinking, or I need to quit doing this, I need to quit doing that, and all of those are things that God's already commanded us not to do. If we would just have followed God's command in the first place, we'd live a whole lot longer life. And I think part of it is that, but the, the, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse number 12 there, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Resisting evil and doing good also includes seeking peace. You shouldn't be the one stirring up problems. You shouldn't be, the, you know, you should be the one trying to do what's right, and sometimes that breeds controversy, but you should be seeking peace. And again, I'm not, I, you know, when it comes time to stand up for the truth, sometimes there is, there is no middle ground. There is standing for the truth, and that's going to create controversy. That's going to, you know, rile some people up. But the Bible says that we ought to seek peace and ensue it. Where we can, we ought to be the peacemakers. Even the Bible says that, even Jesus said that in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Right? We see that in a lot of other, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. The Bible talks about us being peacemakers all the time. And that ought to be, that ought to be something that we do. He, even, he tells us this very plainly. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. When you resist evil, you're automatically inviting the good. And that brings with it the help of the Holy Spirit. James chapter 4 and verse number 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Eventually you, you resist him long enough and he'll flee. We get this idea many times that, well, as soon as you start living for God, the devil's going to attack. And he does. The devil does attack. He doesn't want you to live for God. He's going to make life miserable for you as much as he can. Look what he did with Job. Right? Job didn't do anything wrong. Job, the Bible says, was a perfect man. He was upright in all of his ways. Job didn't invite this because he was being punished for some kind of sin. But the devil attacked him anyway. Hey, you think he's such a perfect man? Then let me attack him. Let me attack his health. Let me attack his family. Let me attack his wealth. Let me attack everything that he has. I'll show you that he'll curse God. But hey, listen, Job, Job resisted the devil over and over and over and over again. And guess what happened? Eventually, the devil left him. God blessed him again. God gave him all of that wealth back and more. God gave him his children back and more. God gave him everything back. And yes, the devil will attack and attack and attack and attack. But you know why he keeps attacking? Because you keep falling to his advances. And then you start to get strong again, and he attacks you, and you'll fall again. Why wouldn't he keep attacking? But the Bible says... Resist the devil and he will flee from you, then I have to believe that when God says it, it's true. You resist him long enough and eventually he'll leave because he knows he's not going to get you to fall. What a great concept. What a great, what a great mindset for us. I just, I've resisted so long I can't hold off anymore. 
I'm just going to have to fall to that sin. Ah, oh, that temptation is so strong. I guess I'm just going to have to, I'm just going to have to give in. No, you resist the devil. The Bible says he'll flee from you. Back to 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse number 13, the recipe for loving life is to refrain your tongue, resist evil, but lastly, is to reap the blessings. I see a lot of times when you, when you uh, it depends on the recipe that you're following, but I've seen recipes many times that say, take out of the oven and enjoy, right? That's the last step in the, in the like, like you don't know that you're supposed to take it out of the oven and enjoy it, right? Oh, I, I baked this thing because I was just going to look at it for a while. I didn't realize you were supposed to eat it and enjoy it. Right? But, but some, I mean, obviously, it's whoever wrote the recipe, take it out of the oven and enjoy it. But that's part of the whole process, right? You don't just bake something so you can sit there and look at it. You don't just bake it so that it can be a decoration. I remember when I was a kid, we went to somebody's house to visit, and it was, it was a group of us teens, and we went there, and they had a, a basket of apples on their, on their table. And they said, uh, hey, if, if any of you want an apple, you can go ahead and have an apple. And one of the guys was like, I'll take one. So he went over there and grabbed it, and he went to take a bite out of it. It turned out to be a ceramic apple. But it, it, looked, it looked good. It looked like something that you could eat, right? But that's not why you bake. That's not why you cook things and whatever. You cook it so you can eat it, so you can enjoy it. And that's exactly, I think, what God is saying here in, in verse number 12. You do these things, then you'll be able to reap the blessings. Verse, uh, verse 13. Uh, sorry, verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Turn over, if you will, to Galatians chapter 6, because you, you know well the principle of sowing and reaping. And I probably don't even need to have you turn to this passage because you probably know it already, but I think it's helpful for us to see it. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 7, the Bible says this, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. That's, that's the whole mindset that the devil wants you to have, right? He wants you to have this mindset of, well, I'm, I'm trying to live for God and nothing ever goes right. I'm just trying to serve him and look at all these things that keep getting in the way. Hey, do right. Follow God's plan. And what does he say there in verse number nine? Don't be weary in well-doing. If you're doing what's right, if you're doing what God wants you to do, well-doing, don't be weary in it. In due season, you'll reap if you faint not. You know, the problem with most Christians is they faint before they get to the, the reaping of the rewards. They faint before they get to the blessings. And hey, it may never be that God blesses you with multi-millions of dollars. It may never be that you have everything that you've ever dreamed of in this life, but I can promise you this. One of these days, we're going, to be stand, we're going to stand before God, and it's going to be worth it all. And it may not be that you reap all the blessings in this life, but hey, this life is short. This life is temporary. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. and I, I can't see them. I don't know what the pile looks like. I hope it's not just a tiny little couple things, right? I, I, I'm, I'm putting it, passing it forward. And if all we think about is these temporary things, oh, look how little I have right now because I'm serving God. Oh, life is so rough because I'm serving God, right? But hey, we think about, man, when I stand before God someday, all that stuff down here didn't matter anyway. It was burned up, wood, hay, stubble, right? But the things that matter are what we're passing on ahead, what we're, what we're, what we're 
paying forward, so to speak. And one of these days when I stand before God, I'm going to be so thankful for the things that I did for him. I'm going to be so thankful for the fact that I hopefully put aside the things of this life, the things of this world, and look to the world to come. If I'm baking a cake and I just throw anything and everything into it, I can only expect to get the results I'll get mixed up mess of who knows what's going to come out. And that's probably what would happen if I tried to make something, right? But you follow the recipe. It usually has been tried and tested, usually been done quite a few times before it was ever published in some kind of book or somebody put it out there on the Internet for you to find and, and make, right? It's, it's going to turn out well. Everybody's going to want to eat it, usually too much of it, right? But the same is true here of God's recipe, and he gives us the results there. In verse number 13, and who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Well, you have protection from God. See that in verse number 12, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. God, hear your prayers. His ears are open unto their prayers. Love life and see good days. That's what he says back there in verse number 10. How is it not worth it living for God? Boy, what a, what a life it is. My father-in-law used to say all the time, we get all this in heaven besides. Man, what a good life it is living for God. You may not have everything you ever desired, but money is temporary. You might have billions of dollars. You know, you know how many people, and I've heard this many, many times, you know, a lot of these, um, a lot of these actors and, and uh, you know, really famous people that have all the money they could ever want, they, they, even not at the end of their lives, even in the middle of their lives. You know, I, I heard... Um, um, one of these guys, Brad Pitt or somebody like that, I, I, don't, I don't know these guys well, but I know one of them said something along the lines of, I have everything and I still have not found happiness. Said those, those exact words. Why is that? Because happiness is not found in money. Now, I, I'd sure like to test it out and see if there really is any happiness in money or not, but the, the, the happiness is not in the money, right? Because it's, it's empty, it's hollow, how many times I've heard these guys say, I've got billions of dollars and I would give every last one of them to have my health back. I'd give every last one of them to have my family back together, right? I don't have billions of dollars, but I've got a family that's together. Right? I don't have billions of dollars, but I have my health and I'm thankful for it. I don't have billions of dollars, but I've got a whole lot of other things that, that billionaires would give anything for because I'm living for God. And I'm trying my best to, to do good and to do what God wants me to do with my life. And I'm not perfect, and none of us are perfect, and none of us ever will be perfect until we get to heaven. But our goal ought to be to try to get there. And if you would love life and see good days, you resist evil. You refrain your tongue. And you know what? Boy, look at all the blessings. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. What else do you want? What else could you want? I've got the ear of the, the uh, county manager. I've got the ear of the president of the United States. I've got the ear of God. He's the one that has all of those things at his disposal anyway. Who cares about all those other things, right? His eyes are open unto the righteous. His ears, or his eye, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. Just like a good recipe for some hearty meal or some delicious dessert, God gives us that recipe here first through David and then through Peter on how to have a good and a long life. It's really, really simple. Refrain your tongue. Resist evil. Reap the blessings. What a simple, simple recipe that most people will not follow. Hey, you know what? 
Simple is good. Simple is easy. I can follow the, the recipe for a no-bake cookie. You know why? Because it doesn't involve very much. You put a couple things together and you mix it and you don't even have to put it in the oven and hope it comes out right. And that's, honestly, that's what this is. Sounds very easy. In reality, it's like a lot of the recipes that, that uh, I try to follow whenever I've tried to make something, they usually don't turn out all that well. But it's not, it's not the recipe's fault because it's been tried and tested. The recipe works if you do it the way the recipe said to do it. The reason it usually fails is because I don't follow the recipe exactly the way it was supposed to be followed. It's the user that makes the error. That's the same thing I found to be true with this recipe from God's word. Any, any of the things that God gives us, honestly, he wants us to have a good life. He wants us to see good days. He wants to have his eyes over us because we're righteous. He wants to have his ears opened unto our prayers. That's what God desires of us. The same way that somebody who comes up with a recipe wants the people who make the recipe to enjoy what they make, right? And it's the same way with God. God's given us this recipe because he wants all those things for us. And we say, well, it's just too hard living for God. It's just, just not that easy. I think I'll pass on all of those things that God wants to give me. I'm going to quit halfway through. It's in the baking process, and that doesn't feel very good. I'm just going to stop. You know what? Let it go. We have to follow the recipe if we hope for it to come out right. And what a blessing it is. What a, what a great reward we get for following this recipe. Love life. See good days. God's eyes are on us. His ears are open unto us. In verse 13, who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? You're untouchable. Right? I want that. I want those results. And I think you do too. But in order to reach that, we have to resist evil. We have to follow what God says. Resist evil, refrain our tongues, and then we can reap those blessings. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for this simple, simple truth from the word of God. I pray that you'd help us to follow this pattern that you've given us. I pray that you'd help us to do everything we can to stay away from the things that the devil's going to put in front of us, tempting us with things that are going to pull us away from God and pull us away from our relationship with him. So, God, I pray that you'd help us to, to resist evil and to do good. I pray that you'd help us to refrain our tongues and that we'd put things in that would be only edifying. And, God, where, where we need to make those changes, I pray that you'd help us to do that. Thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand at your seat through the heads, bowed in your eyes, closed.